Welcome to the Professional Plumber Podcast. We hope that these podcasts will bring some insights into who we are and what we do. So while in conversation with the PIRB, sit back, enjoy, and make sure to connect with the PIRB on Facebook or at pirb.co.za for more. Welcome to another episode of the Professional Plumber Podcast. Now, this is another technical discussion that we're going to have. And as usual for these technical discussions, I have with me Mr. Richard Bailey. Richard, a warm welcome to you as well. And thanks, Estac, for your time and effort in joining me. Hi, Willem. Uh, as always, good to be here. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, it's nice to be back to the uh, format that we used to use a couple of months ago, uh, what we call a vodcast. Eh? Happy podcast, to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now that people can see our ugly faces and our beer bellies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Richard, so today we're talking about uh, positioning of components on geyser installations. Um, and I do believe that it's going to be quite an interesting chat that we're going to have. But before we get into the details of the conversation, uh, let's just take a quick ad break. We'll see the viewers and the audience and the listeners just after this. The POIRB Master Plumber Recognition Program has officially arrived. As an essential service to society, there must be constant growth and development within this important and ever-changing industry. Developed by the PIRB, the Master Plumber Recognition Program has launched as a new PIRB designation, allowing industry champions to take the lead. Skilled and experienced plumbers equipped to take the lead, enroll today to start your journey in becoming a recognized PIRB Master Plumber. Welcome back. You are still tuned in to the Professional Plumber Podcast and this is yet another technical episode or a technical discussion and uh, in this specific episode we're going to discuss the positioning of components in geyser installations. Richard, so uh, there are many components in a geyser installation. I mean a geyser installation has got so many things to consider. Let's talk about these components one by one and let's start off, if you don't mind, with uh, the shut-off valve, the shut-off valve. What can you tell us about the shut-off valve specifically? Yeah, so, so the shut-off valve is basically the first component that water and flowing water will come into contact with that is, that is considered part of the geyser installation um, because it sits before the, the pressure control valve. So... There aren't there. I'll get I'll get into a little bit what the standards require with regards to shutoff valves. Unfortunately, it's not as specific as one would hope. Uh, as a plumber, I would I would prefer that the standards be a lot more specific about exactly where a shutoff valve must be on an installation. But uh, we have. I'll, I'll try and explain what we've got. So the requirements for a shutoff valve re in relation to a a pressure control valve is that it must be installed on the upstream pipe of a pressure control valve. Note the word pipe because it means that the valve, the shutoff valve, must be installed on the pipe which leads up to the pressure control valve. In other words, it's a separate thing. It's not integrated into the valve as the um, a lot of multi-block, we call these multi-block valves, have got integrated shutoffs in the valve itself, which serve a great purpose but it doesn't mean or it doesn't satisfy the requirements of the standards where it says you must install a shutoff valve on the upstream pipe. So upstream of any pressure control valve. Now, having said that, there's nothing in the standards that 
um, pres prescribe a minimum distance or proximity with the hot water cylinder itself. And that's the, the for me, it's a pity because I would have liked to have seen that it would be similar to an electrical isolator uh, that is required within arm's reach. I would, I would personally prefer that to be the case, but it's not. But what the standards do say is that the, um, all the components within a standard, within a Giza installation must be able to be maintained or replaced or repaired easily, properly and correctly. So or if easily, correctly and uh, efficiently or words to that effect. In other words, one must be able to replace these components uh, easily without undue uh, sort of um, uh, labor or stress. And if I'm sitting in a ceiling where most geysers are situated without a shutoff valve close to me, and the only shutoff valve is downstairs outside somewhere, that to me, I cannot easily replace any component. For me, the proximity of a hot water, the proximity of a shutoff to a hot water cylinder actually piggybacks on that requirement of the standards, whereby the ease of use, the ease of maintenance comes into play. I think it's also a sense of, of common sense and logic yeah. that a person can apply when installing that. C correct, absolutely. I mean, I often, because, because the standards are a little bit vague in this respect, I often get calls from plumbers asking me, you know, if there is a shutoff valve here, is it deemed okay? And I always say, you know, if, if you're in a ceiling, up a ladder, in a trapdoor, and the shutoff valve is downstairs through the kitchen gate, which is locked because the dog can't get in. And now you've got to go through another thing and get to it and get bitten by the dog in order to get to the tap. That is not, that is not usable. Mm, it's not efficient. It's not efficient. So what happens if I've got the pressure control valve removed from the installation in the ceiling because I'm servicing it? It's taken apart. I'm trying to clean the filter and somebody downstairs wants to wash dishes opens a tap, there's no water, so they know where the tap is outside. They just go outside and open it. And, of course, it floods the ceiling. Exactly. So that it's common sense that that, uh, that that should be within reach of the geezer, although the standards, one cannot, one cannot minutely defend it with the letter of the law is what I'm trying to say, but there are other ways of, of um, and, uh, determining whether or not it is complying or or um, fulfilling what the requirements of the standard are. So, so, so in short, Willem, there's two things one must remember for a shuttle valve. Number one, there must be one before a, a PRV, a pressure control valve, a pressure relief valve, or a, pre a pressure control valve. Let's call it a PCV. We just usually call it a PRV as from habit, but it's actually a PCV. So there's got to be one upstream there. And number two, it's got to be in a position which will allow the easy maintenance of all the components on a geezer. So those are the two things to remember. All right, so let's talk about the next thing. Let's talk about, we, you called it the PCV, uh, or the pressure control valve, or the pressure uh, relief valve. Let's talk about the positioning of that specifically. So usually the P pressure control valve and the pressure relief valve are integrated into one body. That is usually the case for domestic uh, type valves. When I say domestic type valves, I'm talking valves that are diameter 
20, 20, you know, 15 to, to up to 35 millimeter. Those are usually, uh, I beg your pardon, not 35, 28. So half inch to one inch valves are usually, uh, you'll find have got um, integrated pressure relief and pressure controlled components. Bigger than that, you'll usually find that it is, um, they are separate. But for purposes of this domestic discussion, we're talking about a PCV, which is a pressure control valve, which we're going to assume incorporates the control. In other words, the part of the valve which reduces the pressure down to a usable uh, pressure, as well as the relief component, which allows the excess pressure to, to be to be escaped or to be uh, discharged. These valves need to be positioned so as to be able to balance the system. In modern plumbing systems, they are um, usually uh, mixing points. In other words, a tap where you've got a hot and a cold coming out of a common spout, which we call a mixing component, whether it's a mixer or whether it's a shower with two separate taps, you've still got a single spout, which means it's a mixing component. And at any mixing component, you need to have balanced pressure. So you must place the pressure control valve in such a, in such a way as to balance both the hot and the cold pressure. So your cold draw off to the, to the mixing points must be after that pressure control valve. So that's the one thing to, to, to bear in mind when, when putting that in, in, in place. Um, it must be accessible. Once again, it is a component of the, of the geyser. It is one of those things that has to be maintained, cleaned, replaced, repaired. So it has to be accessible. To put it in a at a geyser installation in a ceiling where you need to crawl for five minutes to get to the geyser on your belly and, and risk putting a knee through the ceiling, sometimes it's, it's unavoidable, but just know that that's not compliant. So do the necessary in terms of issuing non-compliance notices and so on. We know that it's not always possible to keep everything 100% compliant because it's pre-existing conditions, but just know that it's not compliant. It does not fulfill the requirement of the law, okay, the requirement of the standards. And, and of course, Richard, you say for, for the installer to just know that it's not compliant, but for the installer also to, to give a non-compliance notice to the consumer so that the consumer can also know that it's not compliant. That, that's what I mean, Willem. And, and if, you, if whoever's listening to this will, has ever heard a talk about the importance of non-compliance notices will know that you know, we're not going to go into the issuing of non-compliance notices mm -hmm. here, but, but the fact that we're mentioning this and even if you, the fact that we're saying just know that it's non-compliant means that you now have certain obligations. You have the obligation to tell the homeowner and inform them properly of what you found. So my assumption here now is that um, there is a certain amount of knowledge about your obligations with regards to pre-existing non-compliant conditions. But you are quite right. One needs to then issue that in writing to the client or to the homeowner to say, this is what I found. It's pre-existing. I can't do anything different, but it's not right. So it indemnifies the plumber and it informs the consumer. Okay. So if, if that pressure control valve is indeed installed at the geyser installation and that geyser installation 
needs a drip tray. And uh, again, there are there are uh, tech talks, there are uh, podcasts about when uh, a drip tray is required. So we're not going to go into that. But if there is a drip tray, then that must be installed over the drip tray as well. Remember that a drip tray. The, the requirement for that is that it's big enough and it covers a large enough area to allow a coverage of all the appurtenances is the word that it's used in the standards, all the bits and pieces associated with a geyser installation, including the PRV. So if we are talking about a geyser with a drip tray, then that PRV must be installed over the drip tray. So that's the other thing to think about it. And then this might sound like a funny uh, 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 inserted uh, fact here or, or thing I'd like to say here is that it must be high enough in elevation in order for the discharge pipe from that PRV to have sufficient fall to the outside. Just because the pressure control valve's uh, uh, discharge pipe is hard joined to the PRV in many cases and probably won't leak because it's got a proper hard join doesn't mean that it can run uphill. Remember that the requirement is that all discharge pipes have to have a fall such that the uh, pipe and the valve is completely emptied of water under normal conditions. So under its own gravity, it must be able to completely empty of water. So it has to run at a fall. So if you've got that PRV down at the bottom of the geyser and it needs to travel upwards 100 mil, uh, the pipe needs to travel upwards 100 mil to discharge. That's not that's not acceptable. So that's the last thing I'd say about that. Richard, we're going to continue with a, a little bit more of the positioning of components with a geyser installation. But before we do, let's just hop into another ad break quickly. We'll see our viewers and our listeners right after this. Good day. How can I help you? Hi. I'm here to log in my COCs, but I seem to be having an issue with my computer. No problem. But did you know that you can log your COCs using an app on your cell phone? Oh, what app is that? It's called the App Plumber. Do you have a smartphone with you? Yes, I do. Oh, well, let me show you how it works. Not only can you access your PRB profile on the App Plumber, but you can also earn CPD points while exploring the plumbing industry in the palm of your hand. Download the app from Google Play Store and join thousands of other happy users. Welcome back. You are still tuned into the Professional Plumber Podcast. We are having a technical discussion and we're specifically talking about the positioning of components within a geyser installation. Uh, before we went into the ad break, Richard and I were discussing uh, the, the positioning of uh, the shutoff valve and the pressure relief or the pressure control valve. Um, we highlighted a few points that should be taken into consideration, therefore. And to continue our discussion, I'd like to ask you, Richard, about the positioning of vacuum breakers. Yeah. So vacuum breakers are, you know, um, just that. They break the vacuum um, uh, in, under certain conditions. And, and, and each vacuum breaker, the one that is situated on the hot water side uh, and the one that is situated on the cold water side need to do that for different reasons, which we're not going to get into now. So for the hot water vacuum breaker, let me start, let me take one step back and say that both or, or vacuum breakers are designed, most often designed to have a release pressure. The spring inside the vacuum breaker has got a pressure 
at which it will release or allow air in. So, so that that spring in the vacuum breakers have a, has an opening pressure, most vacuum breakers, of 3 kPa, which means that it needs a head uh, for it to open, a negative head of 300 millimeters. If there is a column of water 300 millimeters below that spring, it means that it, it is exerting a negative pressure on that spring of 3 kPa, and that spring will open. And that's how those, those vacuum breakers are calibrated. There are some, and, and, and by the way, hence the requirement for a 300 millimeter riser or height difference between the vacuum breaker and the, and the tank uh, on which it uh, is, is situated. So both vacuum breakers must be installed at least 300 millimeters above the tank. And in some cases, depending on the manufacturer's instructions, on risers that are at least 300 millimeters high. So there's a difference between the tank and the vacuum breaker height um, and the riser, in other words, the piece of pipe to which the vacuum breaker is attached. And the minimum is the, the tank to vacuum breaker, but depending on the manufacturer, some might ask for that riser itself to be at least 300 mil. So just check that. But 300 mil is the key figure you need to hold in your mind. There are some vacuum breakers that are manufactured to open at 0.3 kPa or 30 millimeters. So those open at a much lesser pressure. They usually have more than one seat and seal. So are double sealed. Not all of them, I'm just saying some of them are. And those can be used in situations where, and we, I think we're all familiar with this, where you cannot achieve the 300 millimeter height on especially the hot vacuum breaker because of height restrictions of where the geyser is installed. You can install that, that um, vacuum breaker volume along the length of the hot water pipe. And as long as you've traveled at least 700 millimeters, you can then tee that vacuum breaker immediately into that pipe. So as long as you've traveled at least 700 mil along the horizontal hot water supply pipe, you can put a tee and tee that vacuum breaker in and it need not be the 300 millimeters high. Richard, so obviously this is, this is in an instance where the, the space in which the geyser installation is fitted into, installed into, does not allow for a, an up, you know, a vertical uprising uh, vacuum breaker to be installed. Is that correct? Uh, you mean the vacuum breaker? Vacuum breaker. Not shadow Vacuum breaker. <laughs> but, that's, but you're correct, Willem. Uh, so, so obviously they are, and, and again, we come back to pre-existing conditions and conditions that the plumber, the installing plumber can't really help. And if he comes to replace a geyser, and this is where it is, well, what is he going to do? So he is restricted in space as long as he, A, informs the homeowner correctly in writing, and B, does the best that he possibly can with what he's got. And the standards do allow, as, as you've rightly said, you will then go and choose the correct type of vacuum breaker, the one that will open at 0.3 kPa, and that you can then install flat on the hot water pipe as long as it is 700 millimeters away from the outlet on the horizontal. So, so yes, it would be a conscious decision to buy one type of vacuum breaker versus another. Richard, let's talk about the electrical requirements for geyser installations. So, so electrics, just going back to the subject of this podcast is, is, is the positioning of components. We're not going into technical discussions. Yes. So there are requirements for, from an electrical perspective uh, if you look at SANS 10142 stroke one, 
It is uh, the installation standard for electric for domestic electrics. Uh, it's quite comprehensive, and they talk about having an isolator within arm's reach of the appliance. Now, the geezer is the appliance, and when I'm sitting working on the electrics of the geezer, which is the front uh, electrical cover, uh, I must be able to reach easily reach the isolator without having to get up and walk around and, and so on. So with, within arm's reach, don't quote me on the following, but I think from memory, they give a measurement, a minimum measurement, a maximum measurement, I beg your pardon, of 1.3. But please don't quote me on that. It might be incorrect. Just, I just want to say, we, who, who's got a reach of arm of 1.3 meters? <laughs> yeah, and you can kind of bend your torso, you know, you know 1.3 meters within, within that bubble. Um, they are very specific with their measurements. So, so please don't quote me. I might be no. wrong, and I'm not an experienced electrician. So, and, and this is not my field. But yes, you've got to have an isolator within arm's reach. And then, of course, you have to have bonding properly installed on both the geyser and the cold water supply and the cold water balance pressure, for that matter, as well as the hot water. So you've got to bond all the components to an equal uh, uh, resistance, and uh, but that's as much as I'm prepared to say about electrics because I'm not a I'm not a qualified electrician. Last thing I will say though is that I'm not an electrician, so I would certainly need to call an electrician in to do what's necessary. And uh, if you're not qualified, please note that you would need to actually have it done by, by a qualified electrician. Absolutely, Richard. We were talking about uh, you know things that get fitted around the geyser, but what about things that goes or get fixed onto the geyser? What about those components? Where should and how should they be positioned? Yeah, so we talk about the, the two components that come with the geyser. In fact, when you go and buy a geyser from the store, it comes with it. It comes with its drain cock and it comes with the temperature and pressure emergency relief valve, the TP valve. So those two components fit directly onto the ports of the geysers. So Importantly and obviously, it's, uh, it must be fitted or they must be fitted to their respective ports, the correct ports, the ones that are, are, are labeled for one, the drain cock and then the TP in whichever configuration. So manufacturers requirements need to be followed here. The ports are marked. They need to be marked. And if they're not, well, then it's uh, probably not a compliant geezer. So the ports will have to be marked. Then. If you're in the correct ports, you're fine, except for when you put the geyser itself in an orientation that it's not intended for. For an example, if you have a geyser which is able to be wall-mounted and floor-mounted, there are often a set of feet on that geyser that can be removed and placed in different positions on the geyser so that when you rotate the feet 90 degrees, that you are not rotating the actual tank. So the tank's orientation must be such that it is in, as it was intended. So even though you've chosen the correct ports, don't now go and swivel that tank so that the TP valve is halfway up and the drain cock is halfway up. So that's, that's the only thing to remember with those two, by the Richard, it's, it's so interesting to just rethink the things that we have to take in consideration when it comes to the components and the positioning of the components. We are drawing to a close of this specific episode, but just before we go, I'd like to ask you one last question. What about the geezer itself? Uh -huh. Yes, of course, the geezer. Uh, we haven't spoken about that. 
But uh, actually, Willem, it's quite simple. The the geezer, the geezer, uh, th there's there's two or three things that we need to remember about a geezer. First of all, it's been designed to support its own weight in whichever configuration it is being placed. If it's mounted on the floor, um, it it will th there's no problem in terms of it bearing its own weight as long as we make sure that it is situated on sufficiently strong supports. And very often a geezer sits in a roof. So, and very often we come across supports that are timber supports that are under a geezer's feet that are insufficient, not sufficient to, to support that weight. So we've got to make sure that our roof support structure is in, uh, uh, strong enough. The feet of the geezer must correspond to the timber supports underneath them. It's no good putting uh, the feet, uh, you know, when you've got a geezer tray here, the timber supports there, and the foot is over there. That's not going to work because it's going to buckle the tray. So the feet must correspond to the timber. And of course, where necessary, it must be installed in a tray. The last thing I'll talk about uh, the positioning of a geezer within a tray, if it is a metallic tray, remember that the tray needs to have two coats of bitumous paint as well as hardwood spaces between the tray and the feet of the geezer. And that's per standards as well. And lastly, we've said it, we spoke about it with the drain cock and the TP valve is that the orientation of the geezer must be noted. You must know which way is up, which way is down. And you, Willem, it's, it sounds crazy. I mean, who, how many people are gonna notice that a car is standing on its side? You know, it's the same as a geezer. Obviously it's standing on its side. No. We come across it, I would say, three times a week, I see it, that a geezer has been uh, swiveled 90 degrees to be mounted against the wall without having moved the feet. And it changes the position of the port such that that geezer becomes totally inefficient and actually very dangerous for reasons we're not going to go into now. But please take note of the orientation of the geezer that up is up and down is down, and that's that's the, that's the last thing I'm going to say about that. Crux of it. Listen, Richard, once again, I want to thank you uh, for your time and your effort and having joined me for this technical podcast. Um, once again, awesomely valuable information that you've shared with the audience. Now, I do believe that many of our viewers out there and our listeners out there may think to themselves, but this is information that I already know. But the fact is that you just mentioned you find as an auditor, you find those kind of simple mistakes that actually have big risk. You come, at, you come across it about three times a week. Um, so yes, there are still plumbers out there who even if they do know it, they don't apply it. Um, and I want to refer back to the fact that the, you know, the standards exist for two reasons. Uh, it's, it's to ensure optimal functionality of the product and the installation, as well as the health and safety of the consumer. Richard, and as you've mentioned earlier, Whereas there are, where there may in some instances not be 100 uh, a clear specification on certain things within the standard, you know, common sense and logic can be applied. You know, the truth of it is, William, that I wish, uh, no, let me, let me be very careful what I say. I don't wish that I could be talking about some more, more technical advanced, technically advanced stuff. It's very important that we talk about the basics and the geezers and that sort of thing. So I don't wish that we can only be talking about the technically advanced stuff, but sometimes I wish that we could move on from where we currently find ourselves. And the reality on the ground is, sadly, 
that we do come across these horrendously bad installations and, and the very, very basic basics are not yet, uh, have not yet been properly uh, taught. So, so we are, we are, we are doing vodcasts telling, you know, installers to watch the orientation of the, of the geezer, unfortunately, which should be a given. Yeah. Listen, Richard, once again, thanks a stack for having joined me. Uh, to our viewers and our listeners, don't go away yet. We have a couple of industry announcements to make. So we will see you just now. After careful consideration and due to unforeseen circumstances out of our control, we regret to inform you that the plumbing in Darba 2022, which was scheduled to be held on the 28th and 29th of July, has to be postponed. The industry bodies are working tirelessly to schedule a new date and a possible new venue to host their plumbing in Darba later this year. The relevant information will be released in due course. However, the following events will continue as planned and the attendees and participants can still look forward to the excitement thereof. That is, IOPSA's annual Plumbing Industry Awards that takes place on the 28th of July. The PIRB's Champions for Charity event that takes place on the 30th of July. And of course, this also includes the respective organizations' board meetings. It's also time to announce the winner of the first round of the PIRB's article writing competition. And the winner is... Mr. Mark McRae of Plumbing For You. Now Mark wrote about the importance of educating your client. Congratulations to Mark whose article will be published on the TMP magazine on App Plumber and of course who has earned himself a whopping 4 CPD points and of course who has won himself an awesome solar designation course. Uh, isn't that an exciting and awesome prize to win? Be sure to enter for the next round of this awesome competition. Thanks for having tuned in. Make sure to read more about the PIRB on our website at pirb.co.za and on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.